This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. But if everyone could stand together, we're going to read the Scripture verse together this morning. I'm going to read the odd number verses, and together you're going to read the even number verses. So if I've already confused you, if the person on either side of you is talking aloud, that's your cue, James. Okay, that's your cue. (laughs) You also talk aloud. Okay, beginning in Genesis 44. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. Seize that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word today because your word is living and active. We pray it will be living and active today for each one of us. Spirit of God, you are welcome here. We invite you into this place to teach us, teach each one of us in the the language that we can understand. Have your way here today because we are all laying here outside the beautiful gate waiting for your touch so that we can jump up and praise God. And we pray this for your glory and for Christ's sake. Jesus' name, amen. My daughter Gracie turned 20 this month, 
And when she was in second grade, so this was several years ago, when she was in second grade and our daughter Kate was in kindergarten, I picked them up after school one day and they jumped into the car and Kate started telling a story about a very unruly boy in their class that day. And then Gracie jumped in and she said, well, that's nothing like my guy. And she said, she told stories about such a naughty little boy that was giving the teacher fits. And I said, well, you know, we don't understand the situation that each child comes from. We don't know what kind of home they're growing up in. What kind of words are they hearing? And we just need to have grace for other people. We need to have a heart of forgiveness or else we'll kind of get stuck in bitterness and anger when we think about them or, or when we see them. And so Kate, in her little kindergarten voice, she said, well, we should pray for them. I said, that's a great idea. And before I could even open my mouth, Gracie piped up and she said, don't pray for my guy. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> and that's often what we think. We think that someone's sins and actions are so horrible that they don't deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. The sins against Joseph by his brothers were so horrendous that he could have easily said, no way, I am not forgiving them. They don't deserve it. And when you think about it, Joseph's life could have gone one of two ways. He could have chosen unforgiveness, which would have meant that he was controlled by bitterness and anger, retaliation and vengeance, or else he could have chosen forgiveness, which is what he did. And that forgiveness meant freedom. There's an old saying that says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Joseph didn't drink the poison. When the baker and the cupbearer were thrown into prison in, in chapter 39, Joseph sees their distress and he asks them, why are your faces downcast today? He cared about people. He could have easily been caught up so much in his own world and what had been done to him that he could have said, what's your problem? Did your brothers chuck you into a pit? Did some crazy lady lie about you and get you thrown in here? But he wasn't bound up in bitterness and unforgiveness. He could see other people. Even though he was the one who was in prison, he was the one living in freedom, not his brothers. Because even while he was in prison, Joseph remembered what God had already told to him. He remembered the dreams that God had given him. And he knew that God had a purpose for his life. He knew that God had a plan for his life. Unforgiveness would have been the real prison for Joseph. Three years ago, there was a discrepancy in the books for our business. And my husband, Troy, began poring over the books, trying to figure out what had happened. And unfortunately, he discovered that this discrepancy had taken place over many, many months. And at that time, there was a significant loss of money, several and several thousands of dollars. 
So he got together with the general manager who was in charge of all the employees and they sat down together. They went through all the books. They went through the equipment trying to figure out where the loss of money could have happened. And there's that old saying, follow the money. And that was true in this case. They began to look at withdrawals and deposits. And the loss of money pointed to two employees. So Troy and the general manager, they got together individually with these employees, and they asked them if they had any idea, any sort of thoughts as to how the loss of money happened. And miraculously, neither one of them knew anything. They had no idea. And so Troy said, well, since none of us can figure out how the loss of money happened, I need to turn this over to the police. And it was just a matter of time before detectives were soon discovering what we had already assumed, and they issued warrants for those two employees' arrest. And that theft was a topic for more than one conversation between Troy and I. We would sit down and we would say things like, man, we were good to them. How could they do this to us? How could they steal money that literally goes to pay other employees? But then we came to our senses and we said, we got to let this go. We have to move forward or else we're going to be stuck right here in bitterness and anger. We realized we were the ones who were free because we weren't looking over our shoulder wondering when law enforcement was going to catch up to us. We weren't the ones trying to figure out, well, if the most recent lie we told matched the previous lies that we told. We were the ones who were free, and they were the ones who were living in the prison that they'd created themselves. Although Joseph was a slave and then he was a prisoner, he was not the one who was enslaved. For roughly 22 years, his brothers had to maintain that gigantic lie that they had told their father Jacob. And you have to wonder, how many arguments between them did they have over those 22 years? How many times did they rehash that, that lie over in their minds? How many times did, did one of them get into a drunken stupor and come this close to spilling the beans only to have one or more of the brothers to beat him within an inch of his life? They were all hostages to their own lies and deceptions. But many times we think, well, there's no justice if we forgive someone. Or we think, well, I got to get past my own wounds before I'm able to forgive someone. But the longer we wait, the longer we're burdened down. I grew up in Northeast Ohio and we lived next to an old farmhouse. And there was a great big field that separated our two homes. And that farmhouse was filled with kids. And the youngest one of that family was my age. And neither one of us had entered kindergarten yet. So he was either at my house and we were outside playing or I was at his house and we were outside playing. And he had two older brothers. And although I was very little, I didn't like the brothers. There was something about them that was just 
off-putting. They were creepy to me. But they were rarely there. They were always out on motorcycles way back in the fields, or they were out in their car somewhere, so I rarely saw them. But one day I was at the house, and I don't know why, but we were playing inside the house. Although it was a nice day, we always played outside. That was the time when kids actually did play outside a lot. But I was inside, and I found myself alone in a room when one of the older brothers found me there. And I don't have any recollection of crossing that big field to get back to my house that day. And I didn't have any way of wrapping my mind around what just happened inside that room. But there was something inside my little girl mind that said, you can never talk about this. You can never tell anybody what happened inside that room. And so I didn't. I held on to it for decades. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I was married that I told my husband. And many years ago, I was driving in downtown Nashville and I took a wrong turn and I ended up at a stoplight, which, is, which was right beside a school playground. And it was filled with kids. And one of them was a little girl and she was dressed all in pink and she became hopping up and down. And there was absolutely no reason for her to be hopping except she was filled with so much joy that she just had to hop it out. Because that, that's what happens when you're filled with that much joy, you just gotta hop it out. And her hopping was so contagious that she attracted another little girl who ran up beside her and just started hopping with her. Because that's what happened. Hoppers attract other hoppers. <laughs> and they were just hopping up and down. And I watched them until the light turned green and I drove away. And I thought, now what if that sweet, hopping, innocent little girl went home today after school? What if she went to the neighbor's house and the father of that house or an older brother molested her? How could that sweet, hopping, innocent little girl ever believe that that was her fault? Because that's what I believed. I carried a shame for decades that didn't even belong to me, it belonged to him. And on that day, I heard the words that God had been trying to speak to me for so many years. I heard the words of my innocence. And I spoke aloud to my molester, wherever he was in the world, and I said, I forgive you, not because you would want it, not because you would ever ask me for it, but because I don't wanna be in bondage to you any longer. My unforgiveness oppressed me. It was a burden that I carried from place to place. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the church needs to realize that Satan fights dirty. He'll use anything and everything against you to keep you from God's purpose. And to keep us burdened down, which is exactly where he wants us, he, he makes us believe the lie that if we forgive someone, that that means we've let them off the hook. Now, although I forgave that brother, I still remembered what he did. I still remember. 
Although Joseph forgave his brothers, he didn't forget what they did. In Genesis 39:15, it says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. He remembered what his brothers did to him. He remembered what Potiphar's wife did to him. Unless someone suffers from amnesia, we remember the wrongs done to us. Some people wear, bear actual physical scars on their body from the wrong done to them. But Satan convinces us that we can't forgive because if we do, that means that we let the offender back into our circle. But that's not what forgiveness means. Joseph tested his brothers in the verses that we read about to see what kind of men they'd become. In Genesis 44 and 45, they're standing there before him and they don't recognize him which is incredible in itself. Now, although I know that he was dressed as an Egyptian, and it's 22 years later, so he'd be in his late 30s, but they don't recognize the family nose. They don't recognize Jacob's eyes or his chin or his cheekbones. They don't recognize the way a word forms on his lips. My dad was one of 15 kids, and let me tell you, you could spot them in any crowd. You could see the nose, you could see the cheekbones. But these brothers, they don't recognize them. They had adapted their lives to sin and lies for so many years that they didn't recognize truth when it was standing right there in front of them. When Joseph tells them he's going to keep Benjamin as a slave in Egypt, Judah throws himself in front of him and begs him not to do that. He says, keep me instead as the slave. Because we can't do that to our dad. We can't see that kind of misery in our dad. Because they'd seen that misery and sorrow for the last 22 years. And Joseph could see that his brothers had changed. He could hear it in Judah's voice. And the Bible says that Joseph has to identify himself two times to the brothers. And when he does, they're terrified at his presence. And I bet they are. Because Joseph is now in the position where he could have them imprisoned or killed. But Joseph did just what God does for us. He said, come close to me. Darren has told us that Joseph's life more closely resembles the life of Jesus than anybody else in the Bible. And Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. The brothers were weary and burdened standing before Joseph. We stand weary and burdened by so many afflictions and cares in front of Jesus. The Bible says that Joseph and his brothers ended up weeping together, but that is an unusual situation because obviously not all offenders change. And forgiveness doesn't mean bringing them back into your life. 
Forgiveness simply means that you've let go of any sort of acknowledgement, any sort of apology, any sort of payment, or anything else that you're expecting from them that keeps you enslaved to them. Forgiveness just means you're going to be set free, not them. Joseph told them what happened to him was to preserve a remnant and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Again, we see the life of Jesus here who has saved our own lives by his great deliverance. Joseph had overcome in the pit. He had overcome in prison. And now he was leading a nation in overcoming but that never would have happened if he'd lived with unforgiveness. There never would have been a great deliverance without forgiveness. He would have given in to the enemy's strategies and he never would have stepped into God's purpose and plan that he had for him. A friend recently said to me, she said, Donna, you want the church to wake up. That's your thing. Well, I guess if there's a thing to hang my hat on, that's a pretty good thing. Because Jesus said, I have come that they would have life and have it in abundance. And we can't live that abundant life when we're clinging to so many things that Satan uses to burden us down. Augustine said that God gives where he finds empty hands. And it's hard to take something from the Lord when you're clinging to something so tightly in your life. Darren brought all those great messages about spiritual gifts, and God wants us to use them. God wants to use his church, but the, Satan, the enemy, convinces us to keep hanging on to that baggage, keep hanging on to your burdens. In John chapter 5, Jesus saw a man at the temple who'd been an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? The King James Version says, do you want to be made whole? What a weird question. He's been an invalid for 38 years. Of course he wants to be made well. But that question that Jesus asked is meant for us today and could be phrased do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? Because that's what you say, but you keep carrying these burdens from one place to the next. You keep carrying this stuff around with you. From one season into another, we keep carrying unforgiveness or fear, hardness of heart, Whatever it is, we just keep carrying it. And in this state, it's so easy, like Ephesians 4.27 says, to give the devil a foothold. When we're in that state, we open ourselves to demonic oppression. If someone is truly a believer, if someone's truly in Christ, they can't be possessed, but the Bible makes it clear that they can be oppressed. The Bible mentions several fears like the spirit of fear, the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of heaviness. 
and so many others that Satan uses to, to keep us burdened down. And that's exactly where Satan likes us, burdened and unwell. A few months ago, I, I was researching something and something came across my, my path about Acts 3, about the beautiful gate and the man that was laying lame there when Peter and John encountered him. But it wasn't what I was researching and it kind of just went over my head. I forgot all about it. And just a few weeks ago, I was reading again and I was reading through Acts 3 and I remembered, oh, there's something odd about this verse. And it was as if the Holy Spirit said, look it up this time, pay attention. And so I looked up the Greek words and found it so interesting that the word beautiful in beautiful gate doesn't mean lovely or pretty like we would think it means, but it actually means the right hour or season. That lame man was laying there at the right hour or season gate. And at the right hour, he was healed. And he jumped up and he praised God. And there are so many who have been laying lame for such a long time. You've been laying lame in your relationship with the Lord or in your personal relationships. You've been laying lame in your health, with your emotions. And you're just waiting for that touch from the Lord so that you can jump up and praise God. And you're laying there now right outside that beautiful gate. And it's the right hour. It's the right season. Because God wants to use his church. He wants his church to be made well. He wants his church to be whole. The devil uses the same tactics over and over again. We, we talk about this in ladies' prayer group. He does nothing new. He uses the same tactics all the time. And Jesus has told us the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Darren said, we live in a Judah generation and we need more Josephs. And more Josephs can rise when they walk through that beautiful gate. Kathleen is going to play for us right now just to give you a time of reflection with the Lord. For many people, being made well, or being made whole, means letting go, finally, of unforgiveness. Like me, you might need to speak aloud to your offender wherever he or she is in the world and just say, I forgive you because I don't want to be enslaved to you any longer. I don't want to be in bondage to you. You know, there are a lot of people who are still in bondage to dead people. And God is saying, you're right there at the beautiful gate and it's time to let go. Someone here might need to ask forgiveness for something you've done against someone. And you thought about it, but you don't know how to do it. And so now's the time to pray and ask the Lord, show me, give me the wisdom that I need. Do I call this person? Do we do breakfast? Do we do lunch? Do I write them a letter? How do I make this right?
For some of you, you might know that God has forgiven you for something, but you've never forgiven yourself. You just keep dragging that from one place to the next. I forgive you. The Lord forgives you and you need to forgive yourself. Or you might be sitting here and you know that your sins are separating you from the Lord right now and you need to repent. You need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. So as Kathleen sings, let's use this time to pray and come before the Lord. If you need someone to pray for you, if you wanna come down to the altar, you're welcome to do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do this work that only you can do. Lord, we are grateful for the work that you've begun here. And we know that you will finish it because that's what your word says. So we cling to your word today and we cling to you. And as we continue to do this work and go through that beautiful gate, we will jump up and give you the praise and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.